Turn your Bibles to the book of Amos. Amos chapter 5. Now, if you're having trouble finding it, there's Daniel, there's Hosea, there's Joel, and then there's Amos. So if you find one of those books around there, if you don't find it soon, just kind of look like you found it. I always hated it when somebody mentioned one of those minor prophets and you're trying to find it. You don't want to be the last one to find it. You know what I mean? Anybody here feel pressure like that when, when we do? Yeah, yeah, that was me too. Amos chapter 5, we're going to begin reading in verse 10. They hate him that rebuketh in the gate. They abhor him that speaketh uprightly. For as much, therefore, as your treading is upon the poor, and ye take from him burdens of wheat, ye have built houses of hewn stone, but ye shall not dwell in them. Ye have planted pleasant vineyards, but ye shall not drink wine of them. For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins. They afflict the just, they take a bribe, and they turn aside the poor in the gate from the right, their right. Therefore the prudent shall keep silence in that time. For it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that ye may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, shall be with you as ye have spoken. Hate the evil and love the good. And establish judgment in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. For time's sake, go down to verse 18. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. As if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand upon the wall and a serpent bit him. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, even very dark and no brightness in it? I hate I despise your feast days, and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beast. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vials. But let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. Have ye offered unto me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness forty years, O house of Israel? But ye have borne the tabernacle of your Moloch, and Chin, your images, the star of your God, which ye made to yourselves. Therefore will I cause you to go into captivity beyond Damascus, saith the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. I want to preach this morning on the type of religion that God hates. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I plead with you again today for the filling of the Holy Ghost of God. Lord, please, I beg you to control my thoughts and, Lord, my mouth as well. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would be glorified, that Christ would be exalted, that sin would be preached against and shown for how vile it really is to the God of heaven. 
And Lord, that forgiveness for those who turn to you is available to all. Have your way in every heart. I beg it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Amos is one of those books that as you read your Bible through, you get over it pretty soon. It's only a few short chapters long. But it's one of what's called the minor prophets. By the time Amos comes along to preach, the nation of Israel has been been divided into two different nations. There is Judah, of course, in the south, and the northern kingdom or the northern ten tribes that that are there. Now, when the northern kingdom, the kingdom that he's preaching to, and the northern kingdom started, it happened during the reign of Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, And Jeroboam was the man who led the northern ten tribes off to be a nation by themselves. Now Jeroboam decided when he became king over the northern kingdom that he was a little worried about the people having to go down to Jerusalem to make their sacrifices, not just every year, but the feast that went on every year. And he was afraid that if the people continually went down to Jerusalem that they would want to join back up with Judah, that there would be a reunification of the nation. And Jeroboam did not want that. So he decided, well, the people who used to worship will give them worship. But they changed some things. They don't have to go to Jerusalem anymore. I can build an altar just as good as the altar down in Jerusalem. And that's the place where people will go. He did that in the city of Bethel. Now at Bethel, he made this false worship. As a matter of fact, they had some calves that they had likened into the figure that they called Jehovah. So they had a false image of Jehovah as well. Instead of the Levites being the priest, he made the lowest of the people the priest. But still, they did everything else. They did everything else that had been done in Jerusalem. And God says, I hate it. And he says, I'm sending Amos to the house of Israel, the northern kingdom, to pronounce a judgment against them because of their false religion. Now, they had the outward form of religion. If you were to ask them, do you worship Jehovah? Oh, well, they would have said, of course we worship Jehovah. But it's like a lot of people who say they worship Jesus, but it's obvious in talking to them that they worship a different Jesus than the one of this book. And probably they don't realize it because they're not in the book to find out who Jesus really is. So they had priests of the lowest of the people. They recognized all the feasts. They brought sacrifices to their altar. They made offering. They were a very religious people. According to verse 18, they were even looking forward to the coming of Christ, to the day of the Lord. They were looking for the Messiah to come. You remember the story in John chapter 4 where Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well. She said, we know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. They were looking for the Christ to come. But Jesus said to them, you worship, you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. He told her what you worship, you worship in vain. Because the truth is, they had made all that up to themselves, to what they wanted. In verse 28 or 21, they celebrated the feast days. In verse 22, they brought the burnt offerings and the meal offerings and the thank offerings. In verse 23, their worship was accompanied with music. And God said, I hate them. God said, 
I despise them, all their feasts, all their sacrifices, all their songs. Jehovah God said, I hate them, I despise them. He tells a little parable in the middle of all this, beginning in verse 19. He talks about a man that was being chased by a lion. Here he was trying to get away from the lion, and he happens upon a bear that takes off after him as well. His day is not going too well. He runs to his house. He gets inside the door. He is now safe from the lion and the bear, and he puts his hand up on the wall to rest himself, and a viper bites him, and he dies. Really a bad day. Because, you see, he thought the one place he could be safe The one place where he didn't have to worry about evil would be his own house. Here was Israel. These were God's people. They knew who Moses was. They knew what the Old Testament had said. They knew how they were instructed to worship. And you would think that in their worship would be the one place where they would be safe. But they had so perverted it by following their own ideas instead of what God said in his word... It would bring death to them. Now, that's not a happy message for a preacher to bring. After all, the popular preachers today, they, they're not going to criticize anybody or preach against anything. You know, it's good God, good devil, and all that. But I want you to notice a few statements that are made here. In verse 4, the scripture says, For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek ye me, and ye shall live. In verse 6, seek the Lord and ye shall live, lest he break out the fire in the house of Joseph and devour it. There be none to quench it in Bethel. You go down to verse 14. He says, seek good and not evil that ye may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts shall be with you as ye have spoken. The next verse, hate the evil and love the good, and establish judgment in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. You go down to verse 24. He declares to the people, let, uh, but let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. You see, God wants people who love him enough to obey him. God wants people who think so much about God that they believe whatever God says is the truth. For it is the truth. He is a righteous God. He is a holy God. He is the God who cannot lie. When God speaks in righteousness and holiness, you can count on it. God is always right. And I don't care how many college or seminary degrees a person may have to put after their name. I mean, they may have so many degrees, you can call them Dr. Fahrenheit. If they disagree with God's word, they're wrong. God is always right. Now, how in the world could God's people ever get into such a horrible condition as that? Now, without going back through all the history of Israel, let's go to the New Testament for a few moments and find an answer to that question. Go over to the book of Romans, and I want you to notice in Romans chapter 1, he talks about the sadness here of 
what actually took place. In verse 21, the scripture says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. When they knew God and they were given the word of God because they were his people, his chosen, they had the word of God, they knew God, they had seen him do, they had seen him do the mighty acts that he had done, but they didn't glorify him as God. And notice it says, neither were they thankful. You know, I guarantee you there are a lot of people who claim to be Christians, may be Christians, but who claim to be Christians that all they can do is complain about anything that the church takes a stand against. I mean, that's where they're at. They don't like it that you can't do this at church and you can't do that at church and, and we're not supposed to do that even when we're out and about and we're not supposed to do this. And, and it's a constant complaint. Why don't, why don't those people just praise God for what they got? I mean, we've got so much in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're going to keep our heart right, we're going to have to be careful about what comes out of our mouth and coming out of our mouth should be praise to the God who offered salvation to us. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say in verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Amazing how some of these people, for instance, some of these ex-IFBers, that's... They used to be independent Baptists. They're not anymore. They talk about how they were in drudgery and they were in a type of slavery, being in a church that would preach holiness and righteousness and condemns the many things that the Bible condemns. They just think that's a horrible way to live. In other words, to obey God's word is a drudgery and horrible way to live. What does that say about God? And what does that say about the people who are constantly complaining? They're not praising him. They only got one place to go, and that's to have their foolish heart darkened. Notice the next verse. And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Once you get away from the word of God... You end up changing the image of God into something that is corruptible instead of uncorruptible. You end up with a God that's just simply a glorified human being with all the frailties that man has. But God is absolutely perfect. You see, he wants people to love him. And if you're not careful about what comes out of your mouth, you're not going to love him. For the Bible says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. First thing he says, put away from you a forward mouth. If you're going to keep your heart toward God, you've got to be careful what comes out of your mouth. Because it's almost like it engravens that on your heart. God wants a people who love him. Love him for who he is and what he is. Say, how important is this to the Lord? I'll turn over to the book of the Revelation, the last book in the Bible for a moment, in Revelation chapter 2. Now, this book is written according to chapter 1 to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And in chapters 2 and 3, he writes individual letters to each one of those churches. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, he writes to the church at Ephesus. And notice what God 
says about this church. He says in verse 2, I know thy works. He knows us. He knows what we do. He knows what we are. We can't fool him. He knows. Now, see, we have no doubt over the years, we've had all kinds of people come through Madison Baptist Church. And, of course, we've seen a number of people saved and all that. Praise God for all of that. But get this. He knows everything we've done. Everything we've done. As a matter of fact, he knew this church so well. Notice what he says about him. He said, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Everything I just read about in verses 2 and 3 are good things. He knew all the good things about this church. He knew the things they had done. He knew about their stand for righteousness and truth to the book. They would not allow somebody to come in their pulpit and preach false doctrine. They wouldn't allow it. That was a good thing. You see, the church, if you read the inside of our bulletin at the bottom of the bulletin, uh, the church is not a forum for open discussion. It is a congregation meeting to hear what God has to say in his word. Now, everything he says is good. Man, these people labored. They were patient, all that. But then notice... Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. You see, he not only knows our works, he knows what's going on in here too. You say, how serious is this? Well, let's see. He says, thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. In other words, remember when your first love was still real. And it was dear to you and it was precious. It made the word of God exciting and being with God's people exciting. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. And what's that word? Man, that's a good Bible word. And repent. And repent. Repent of what? Not having your first love. Repent of it. Now notice he says, and do the first works. Be like he used to be. And then he says this. And you might even circle it in your Bible or else. Now, the one who is the author of this letter is none other than Jesus Christ himself. And he tells this local church that had done so many things right. You've left your first love. Repent or else. Or else what? This is not a veiled threat this is the real thing or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent oh you say preacher but those those image words how can we possibly know what he's even talking about what is the candlestick well he just told us what it was at the end of chapter one and since I didn't read that let's go back to it in chapter one and verse 20 In verse 20, he says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. 
Now, Jesus is saying to this church, you know, I know you've done all these things, and that's good, but you've lost your first love. You've left. Your, matter of fact, he doesn't say you've lost your first love. He says you have left your first love. And he says, repent or else I'll take your church out. Guess what? That church isn't in Ephesus anymore today. It's been gone for a long time. He said, but preacher, doesn't he need churches? Let me tell you, here's what he wants. He wants churches who will do right because they love him. How do you lose your love? How do you leave your love? By not praising him for all that you have. When was the last time that you thank God for all that being saved means to you. Now, if you're not saved, you've not been able to do that. But if you're saved, when was the last time you just praised him for what being saved? The enmity between you and God is gone if you're saved. Hallelujah. That's enough to praise him. The guilt from sin, thank God, is gone. I'm forgiven as far as the east is from the west. So far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Hallelujah. That's enough to praise God for. Hey, I don't ever have to worry about dying and going to hell. I've been redeemed. He has saved me and given me everlasting life. That's enough to praise God for. How about fellowship with God restored? I can pray and he'll hear me. Amen. Bible says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Christ. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. What marvelous promise is found in the word of God. Because I'm saved. He's redeemed me. I have peace with God. Peace. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. My sins are forgiven. Heaven is my destiny. That's where I'm going. A place where there'll be no more pain, no more death, no more suffering. When was the last time you just spent some time not asking God for anything, but simply praising him for what you have in the wonderful salvation that he provided through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. When was the last time you just thanked him for being willing to go to the cross for such a wicked sinner as you are? Thank God that he conquered death, hell, and the grave, rose from the dead three days later, and hallelujah, he's coming back for me. Amen. And if you're saved, he's coming back for you. You see, our problem. The reason we have the mully grubs all the time, we're not praising and thanking him. What happens when you don't praise and thank him? Your foolish heart becomes darkened. And boy, that's where you end up in an abyss. There are a whole lot of Christians with emotional problems that are all born on this one reason. They don't praise him. The Psalms are full of praise. Go through your psalms and every, right, every time you see a praise, write it down and make sure you're going to praise him for the very same reasons. Man, you will have a long diary of nothing but praise. And you will find as you go through those that your heart will be lightened 
and praise and will be on your lips and love will be in your heart for all he has done. No, we watch so much TV and so much on TikTok and, and Instagram and Bookface and all that kind of stuff. We think God's keeping stuff from us. No, you're the one keeping, your, keeping good things from you because you won't praise and love him like you should. That's where it begins. The lack of love from a life of praise, a lack of praise. And then there's partial obedience. I mean, Israel brought, bought sacrifices. They brought the sacrifices to the altar. They had the offerings. They didn't go to Jerusalem. They went to Bethel. They went to Gilgal, according to verse 5. They had the feast, but that was being disobedient to God. They thought they could decide what was true worship and what wasn't true worship. No, God doesn't give us that right. That belongs to God. And he has spelled out what true worship is. He said, well, preacher, it just feels right to me to be able. That's got nothing to do with it. You sound like the country artist who wrote that song, How Can Anything That Feels So Right Be Wrong? Buddy, if it's contrary to God's word, it's wrong, period. That's just settled already. Your heart does not determine right or wrong. God's word determines right and wrong for the child of God. Partial obedience. You remember King Saul, the first king of Israel? You remember God told him in 1 Samuel chapter 15, he was to go down to the Amalekites because of how they had treated Israel when Israel got out of Egypt. And he was to destroy all the Amalekites and everything they had. And he went down and destroyed most of them. But he was supposed to destroy the animals and everything else too. He didn't do that. He had his people bring back the best of those supposedly to sacrifice to God. And when Samuel met up with him, Samuel basically said this, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obedience? You see, God is not crazy about sacrifices. He wants obedience on the part of God's people. Being partially obedient made Saul completely disobedient in the eyes of God. I noticed, for instance, again in verse 15, back in the passage that we were reading from Amos, I hope you didn't lose your spot. We don't have time for you to find it again. Hate the evil and love the good and establish judgment in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of, jo- uh, of Joseph. We are to hate the evil and love the good. Verse 21. In verse 21, he says, I hate, this is God speaking, I hate, I despise your feast days. And I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Remember the sacrifices they brought in. The savor of that to God was to be a sweet smelling savor. And he says, no, I hate that now from you because your life doesn't back it up. You're not standing for righteousness. In verse 24, but let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. That's what he still demands of his people today. We excuse away our lack of total obedience. So how much do you read the Bible? I'm not asking how many chapters do you read a day. Do you read your Bible every day? God's people should be in God's book. You want to find out right and wrong, right here it is. This is the final word on all of it. And how are you going to know what's right and what's wrong? How are you going to know what's evil and what's not evil? 
unless you know what God says about it. Ever since the Supreme Court made their ruling that abortion was not allowed in the Constitution, that's all they said. What they said did not do away with abortion. You understand that? People are still aborting babies today in the United States of America. You understand that? That didn't stop with the Supreme Court's ruling. But let me tell you something. Abortion is sin. Abortion is murder. And I don't care if the Supreme Court says it's all right or not. They're not God. God's already spoken. I have more than enough Bible verses to let us know that what has been doing, what's been done in this country, the Holocaust of America has been over 60 million babies butchered in the one place they should have been safe in their mother's womb. All on the altar of immorality and what seemed right to some people. Well, that's my right. It may be their wrongs, but it's definitely not their rights. God's not changed his word one bit in this thing. How about our prayer lives? Man, we get to talk to the God of heaven every day. What's your prayer life like? I know some people, the only time they pray is when they're doing something else. They might pray while they're driving. I think you need to pray before you drive in Huntsville. While you're driving, you need to pay attention. Amen. But for some people, asking the blessing on the food and asking for safety while they're driving, that's their total prayer life. God is so much more than that. And if you love him, you'll want to talk a whole lot more to him than that. Our giving. Amazing how people explain away their faithfulness in giving. Well, I just don't believe in tithing. Funny, Abraham did. And that was long before the law. Long before the law. You see, God's always deserved the first fruits. Matter of fact, he deserves much more than that. But it's the first fruits, the first 10%, the tithe. And that's what a tithe means. The word tithe means a tenth. That's his. Our lack of witnessing. Our unforgiveness when he's told us to forgive. Bible says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. But let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So you see, God's going to judge this nation. Because of their lack of love, from their lack of praise, because of their partial obedience which means total disobedience, and because they substituted their ideas for God's word. Let's go back over to Romans. Don't don't lose your place in Amos, but go back to Romans chapter 1. Again in verse 23 when he says, and they changed the truth of God, I'm sorry, changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Here. At least in the northern kingdom, they had their golden calves. They had their sacrifices and all that. But they weren't doing it right. They weren't doing it in the right place. 
They weren't doing it with the right people, which then God says he totally rejected. Their ideas did not suffice to the God of heaven. That, that is as old as Genesis chapter 4. After the fall of man, we find Cain and Abel bringing their sacrifices to God. I don't have any doubt that God taught the whole family about the necessity of a blood sacrifice when God slew the animals to make the coats of skin to cover Adam and Eve. And they were taught to do the same thing with their children, no doubt. Because you've got Abel, he's bringing a blood sacrifice to God. You've got Cain. He's decided he's not going to do that. He's decided he's going to bring the first fruits of the ground as a sacrifice to God. But God didn't call for grain. God called for a blood sacrifice. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And the Bible says that God had respect unto Abel's sacrifice, but not unto Cain's sacrifice. Cain was wroth. He was angry. Why won't he accept my sacrifice? And God says to Cain, doest thou well to be angry? He says, if you do well, it'll be okay. But if not, sin lieth at the door. Cain After that, goes ahead and kills his brother Abel. You see, isn't it amazing how people who don't want to obey God hate the people that do? 1 John, by the way, explains all that, and I don't have time to preach on that this morning. We have our own ideas about what God should be willing to accept. But God's already told us in the book what he accepts and what he doesn't accept. We think that he wants us to be happy first. No, he wants us to be holy first. I want you to get that. We were created to bring pleasure to God according to our Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. We're created to please Him. If pleasing God makes you happy, then pleasing Him you'll be happy. But if only pleasing yourself makes you happy, you're going to be disappointed all of your life. You weren't created to please yourself. You were created to please Him. Listen to me. This will help you. If you get this down, this can make your life something worth living that really counts for something for all eternity. But we think God ought to just get whatever we want to give him. If we want to give him a rock song with the name Jesus interspersed throughout it, that ought to be enough. Well, guess what? That doesn't work. You're not going to take the flesh and that which is carnal and glorify God with its carnality and its wickedness. I used to be a rock and roll disc jockey. I got saved when I was a disc jockey. Let me tell you something. Taking the music of the rock and roll world, I don't care what kind. That's like putting poison in a glass of milk. The whole glass becomes poison. Rock music destroys. You can go into all kinds of churches today that have a look of a nightclub or an old disco with smoke rising from the floor and the lights are out, maybe it's because they're thinking, we don't want God to see us doing what we're doing. We know this isn't right. I remember when I was lost and I'd sit around with people and we'd talk about God. Of course, we didn't know anything about him. None of us knew him. And we had all kinds of ideas about God, but we didn't know him. 
When I found out what the Bible said about him and realized that I was lost and on my way to hell, I took Christ as my Savior. I took the Christ of this book as my Savior. And he saved me and changed my life. And as I read the word of God, I came to the conclusion, this is all God's word and it is right about everything it says anything about. Now I must hasten. And unfortunately, when you get to verse 12, let's get back, let's get back to Amos. Get back to verse 12. God says, for I know your manifold transgressions. And your, notice the term, mighty sins. They afflict the just. They take a bribe and they turn aside the poor in the gate from their right. And then God pronounces, of course, he's going to judge them because of these things. What had happened in Israel? What had happened in this northern kingdom? What had happened was this. Open sin had become acceptable to them. Now, notice how accepted. Back in verse 10, they hate him that rebuketh in the gate, and they abhor him that speaketh uprightly. In other words, whenever a man of God would come on the scene and preach against their sin, instead of getting down and repenting and turning to God, they'd hate the man that brought the message. But the man that brought the message was simply God's spokesman, giving them the truth of the word of God about their sin and how to get right, but they hated the man that brought the message. Now, we see that throughout our society today. You take, uh, I have a message that I preach. Many of you have heard. It's called, Why I Hate the Rules. We hate rules. We hate the rule giver. We hate the rule enforcer. And we hate the rule teacher. So here's a policeman. Isn't it funny, while we're sitting at our house and the, and the speed limit, the that is, go, that is for the road right in front of our house, 35 miles per hour. We're, we're upset when somebody goes 50 miles an hour down our road. Why aren't the police here? Why don't they ever catch these people? But then we do the same thing down somebody else's road, and the policeman stops us, and we're mad at the policeman. And the policeman was only speeding to catch up with us. It wasn't his fault. I mean, we are such hypocrites. So you've got people who, we need to defend the police. No, we need more of them. More of them. Do you realize if people just did right, there wouldn't be any need for the police, but people don't do right on their own unless it's enforced. And so you've now you've got all kinds of people who, who are being killed by the folks breaking the law because so many police have been defunded. There's not enough policemen to go around. I'll tell you what, with how they've been treated, I wouldn't be a policeman. I thank God for those who are brave enough to serve. Man, those are heroes in my book. Amen. That's extra. That's good. So they hate the preaching of the one, the one who's preaching against their sin. We live in a day where open sin is accepted. Do you realize, you don't have to do much visiting today. You'll run into people, knock on doors. You'll run into people, claim to be saved. They're not married. The gal is expecting a child. Notice I didn't say the guy was expecting a child because even though the Supreme Court doesn't know it, or at least a couple of their judges, men don't get pregnant. Well, you got that right. I tell you what, 
Hallelujah. God knew what he was doing. We're such sissies, we could never bear it. Amen. And you've got unmarried people celebrating the birth of what the Bible calls a bastard child. Don't get mad at me now. I'm just telling you the truth. Oh, you got quiet on me now. I need to park here for a while because we need to learn some lessons on holiness and righteousness. Oh, we need to have a party for the child. No, you need to be repenting of your sin. That's what you need. Our country has gotten so sick that even believers are shocked when just the truth is presented. Whew. Settle down. Give me some blood pressure medicine here. You got a bunch of churches where homosexual couples are members in good standing in churches. I'm sorry. That might happen at the first, first something of Sodom and Gomorrah, but it wouldn't happen in a real church. Oh, well, we've got a pastor that's a female. God's already spoken about that mess. He's already covered that. All you got to do is read First Timothy chapter 3. God's already condemned that. It's amazing how many Christians have somehow, they must have gotten a new Bible. Well, that's part of it. They don't like the old King James Bible. So they try to find a Bible where they can drink and be a good church member. No, you need to get right like any other drunkard. It's still wicked. God still condemns it. Oh, oh, cussing is all right if you're mad enough for a righteous cause. I mean, after all, especially if they deserve a cussing. It's all right to cuss. No, it's not. It's not ever right to cuss. That's wrong. You don't have any right to do wrong because somebody else did wrong. I've got some more here. We've got Christian teens who've been taught way too long that relationships between the guys and the gals, how they treat one another has been taught to them by Hollywood instead of by the church or a Christian mom and dad. They're not to touch. They're not to neck and pet. They're not to. It's wicked. It's wrong. Just read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15 through chapter 7 and verse 4. God's as plain as he can be. They're not to touch. Why? To avoid fornication. Some of these so-called Christian parents letting their kids go off to, in, in some very immodest dress to a prom. What on earth do you think happens? Mm. I feel like using the term almost Christian parents. I can remember, <laughs> I can remember when we used to preach against shows like Dallas, Dynasty, Three's Company, and some of the other filth of back there in the 70s and 80s, and today those things are considered innocent. Another thing innocent about them. Tell you what, most of the garbage that people watch today, including the Twilight stuff and the Harry Potter stuff, is nothing but wickedness that God condemns. Nothing right about it at all. And letting our kids fill their heads with that kind of stuff. Young ladies don't know how to dress modestly. The trash that they put on. By the way, you're to be covered up. Now the Bible defines nakedness in the book of Isaiah as the the bearing of the thigh. 
So we want to be safe because we want to be the proper type of believers and be covered at least below the knee. And if you wear it down to your ankles, that's okay too. But it's to be modest. According to 1 Peter chapter 3, that your clothing is to show the hidden man of the heart, a meek and quiet spirit. That's what's supposed to show. I'm just giving you a Bible. If this shocks you, it's because you've not been reading it. By the way, look at this. I'm getting close to done. You say, what does that mean? I don't have a clue. I'm just getting close to done. (laughs) Romans chapter 1, verse 18. We normally save these type of messages for Sunday night. But if that be the case, some people will never get it. So we're doing it on a Sunday morning so everybody gets it at least once. Romans 1.18. I want you to notice this verse. Just clear Bible, get a hold of this. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Stop for a moment. The wrath of God. Now, you've got to admit, anything that God's wrath is against, that's pretty serious stuff. Well, what is the wrath of God against? Notice, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against some ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. He says all. It doesn't say, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of the lost. It says of men. That's all of us. He's against ungodliness and unrighteousness in believers. Now, thank God we have salvation in Christ, but we also have to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And I think just like God told the people in Israel that you're looking for Jesus to come back, you're looking for him to come, but it's going to be a day of darkness to you and not a day of light. There are an awful lot of Christians who are saying, oh, we want Jesus to come, but they're living a sinful, worldly lifestyle. I got news for you. Standing at the judgment seat of Christ is not going to be a time of light for you, but darkness and judgment, not hell. You still get to go to heaven. The Bible says every man's work should be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive reward. If any man's work be burned, he shall suffer loss, though he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. People think that these things are not important. Well, in Israel, they thought as long as they did the feast, even though everything else was wrong, it wasn't that big of a deal. But they were to get their hearts right. I'm reminded of a story back in the 1890s. There were two older teens who were bitten by a dog with rabies. When the owner of the dog found out about it, and this is back in the 1890s, so it's not like they could just jump in the car and drive. They lived in southern Illinois, and the only nearest place where they could find an inoculation would have been up in some of the hospitals in Chicago. So this guy who had the dog gave $500, which at that time would have been more than plenty of money, for them to get taken care of. The young lady, she got on the train, rode the train up to Chicago, got taken to a hospital where they had the inoculation, and it 
you've ever had rabies, you know it takes several shots and a time of doctor's care in order to make sure you're okay. And so she spent several days up there in Chicago and then was able to come back home. The young man, he had been bitten as well. He got $500, but he didn't think it was that big of a deal. After all, he was feeling all right then. And he decided to take the $500 and just have a good time and spend it on himself. When that young lady got back from Chicago, she found that her friend who'd been bitten had already died. But he didn't think it was that important. And just like I know, there are probably some people sitting here today who think, Brother Allison, come on, it's not really that important. When it comes to obeying the God of heaven, it is important. The cure he gives. In verse 4, he says, seek the Lord. In verse 14, he says, seek God. In verse 15, he says, hate the evil. In verse 24, he says, we're to practice judgment and righteousness. Of course, all of this is pointless if you don't know the Lord anyway. If you're lost, you've never been born again... Hear the words of Jesus Christ. He said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he said, marvel not, I said unto thee, ye must be born again. If you're here and you've never been born again, or if you're watching over the internet and you've never been born again, you can be mad at me because I preached so hard, because I was very blunt in some of the things I've said. Do You know, you can be mad at me and still go to heaven, but you can't go to heaven without Jesus. You must be born again. He died for your sins. He was buried. He rose three days later from the dead. He wants to save you. The Bible says, but as many as received him, to them give you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Friend, if you don't have heaven settled, you need to come to Jesus today and be born again. And you can have eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, the peace of God, being reconciled to God in heaven as your eternal destiny, but you must come to Christ. Christians, we are bombarded today, whether it be on the internet, whether it be by the TV, or just our whole society. We are bombarded with ungodliness and wickedness. Bible belief is mocked, and unfortunately, he's mocked in a lot of denominations today. But you've heard the word of God today. You know better. If any of those things are in your life, you need to get things right with him today. Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. We've looked at the type of religion, Lord, that you hate. A type of religion that think that the person thinks that they are able to decide what's right and wrong. That whatever they decide to do that's okay with them ought to be okay with you. And it doesn't work that way. Didn't work that way in Israel. Doesn't work that way today. Lord, deal with hearts. If there's one here without Jesus, may they come to Christ and be saved today, I plead. And Lord, we pray for believers today. May we not be fooled by the lies of the world, but accept your truth and get whatever sin may be in our lives out. Just like you told Israel to repent, you told the church at Ephesus to repent because they'd left their first love.
Have your way in every heart today, I pray in Jesus' name.